Welcome to Agile in Toronto at Night, a badass Agile show. I met my next guest working for a tech services consultancy firm here in the city. He's a transformation and business improvement consultant, a podcaster, and a self-described change agent. In fact, if you know Agile in the city of Toronto, you know Hino. He's extremely active in the community. I'm personally a big fan. Here he is, Hino Marks. Hino Marks, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Chris? Hey, man, I'm doing great. It's been a while since I've seen you. I want to say it's been a couple of years since we've done any consulting in the same room. Why don't you catch me up to date and let me know what you've been up to? Oh, my. Uh... I think last time we worked for the same company was 2016. Mm -hmm. So that's four years now. Um, I've taken some time off, first of all, to uh, kind of to uh, to relax. <laughs> it was kind of necessary. I was traveling a, a whole lot before. And um, I've done a, a few fantastic trips. Uh, took a trip through the Northwest Passage while it was still possible. Um, went to Japan for the first time and have gone a few times since. Good for you. Got married, started two companies, and working back in Toronto. Man, so you've been a busy fellow. Uh, somewhat. Are the companies agile related, shall we say? They are, yeah. So one is a, is a product company. Uh, that's kind of something that we, we're trying to start. Uh, we're, we're not anywhere close to having uh, being customers yet. Another one is a consulting company, and actually the uh, product company kind of got born out of the consulting company um, because we we felt like we needed a couple of tools to uh, to help us do our job better, and uh, we we found that it might might have been valuable for other people to uh, to use those tools as well. So we we had the idea of starting a company, but apart from having a name, there hasn't been an awful lot that uh, that has happened on that front. We're just in the fledgling stage; you're just getting going. Exactly. That's fantastic. You know, when we worked together, you were more of an agile evangelist. You were jumping around from team to team, crew to crew, and you were giving a lot of advice. And, you know, even at that point, when I was maybe starting in agile, it seems like you had a fair amount of seniority and experience. Do you remember the moment when you knew that agile was an avenue to having impact in the world? Do I remember the moment? Um, I, I remember definitely the person that uh, that gave me that insight, um, and that was back in, in you, you know that I come from Belgium, right? You know that I moved uh, I moved to Canada about yeah, eleven years ago now. I do. Um, Twelve. Oh my God, time flies. And um, uh, it's about in two thousand, I believe, that I started working with uh, the Belgian Post. And um, it, I wasn't I wasn't really into agile. I didn't know anything about agile, to be very honest. Uh, but I knew things about software development, and um, and I was going to help people how to uh, how to develop better. Basically, that was ultimately what I was doing. And in the beginning, I was even hired to help people uh, um, write unit tests. It's mm. as simple and as concrete as that. And I met a fellow there um, by the name of Pascal van Kouwenbergen, 
who, uh, who taught me an awful lot of Agile. And uh, he was one of the people who started Agile Benelux that is still happening and it's still a conference that I, uh, um, that I would like to go to uh, when I have an opportunity. I've, I've done it a few years ago, but it's been a while now. Um, and it's, um, it's ex- not Agile Benelux, it's XP Benelux that it's called. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful conference in a small setting where you can uh, really learn um, f- from people who are still experimenting, right? So an awful lot in the Agile industry right now, unfortunately, um, is all about scaling what other people have done before yeah. you or yeah. making sure that you apply the processes that other people have come up with um, as best as you possibly can. But um, but my my impression of that conference always was that um, they were they were really um, thinking ahead. They were really um, some of the sessions were really groundbreaking, and uh, and it was always interesting to be there. So it's through Pascal Vakoenberg and a couple of other people. Vera Petrus was there as well, um, who who taught me uh, what what agile really was what it really was about. And, and then it took me several years to, to put that all together and to, to get a deep understanding of it. Now, you mentioned there's a couple things to unpack there. One of the big ones is that there's so much scaling what other people have done, leaning on you know, the shoulders of previous giants. If you, mm-hmm. were, if you were meeting somebody who's just coming up now, someone who's just starting in the industry and deciding they want to be a scrum master, they maybe want to be a coach. What kind of, it's, it's getting crowded. It's getting crowded and it's getting full of, I'll even say some bad ideas, some stale ideas. What would you recommend to somebody? Oh, um, the first thing I always do is I, I give them a book or, or at least I, uh, I point him towards one particular book, the first one that I give to everyone, and that's The Goal by uh, Eli Goldratt. Um, because ultimately that's what it's about. It, it, it is really about how can we get something um, in front of our customers as fast as possible with the least amount of waste. Right. How can we generate as much value as we can on a continuous basis and learn from the things that we're doing. And uh, I feel that the goal um, and and in my opinion, a carbon copy of it, which is the, uh, the Phoenix Project. Um, I feel that the, the goal is, uh, is really good at, at driving home that message and at, um, yeah, basically explaining in a novel way. It's also a novel, it's a business novel. Um, how, um, yeah, how, how focusing on the end-to-end flow and on what really matters how that can has a, have a significant impact on your uh, on the work that you do on everyone who's involved in it and that's really what's driving me and that's uh, the people who are who are part of the process the fact that they they come to work with a smile on their faces and they hmm. go home uh, satisfied um, how all of this works together and how all of this is necessary to make something like this work now since you're starting your own company or been working in on building your own companies have you learned anything through that process that has nothing to do with software development, but everything to do with agility? That is a really good question. Let me, let me think about that for sure. a second. So not, nothing to do with software engineering, but everything to do with agility. 
So now so, your your product is no longer a product. It's no longer a software product. But in right. fact, it is a you know it's a proposal or it is a certain uh, you know a certain number of Instagram followers or a, yeah. it's some other business metric. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what it is. The uh, the one thing um, is is. So when, when I think about Agile, right? So I, I just said a minute ago, so I'm going to somehow contradict myself, but then again, I, I don't feel it. I am. <laughs> exactly, I do this all the time. <laughs> so um, uh, I said it's all, it's all about this end-to-end -end flow and getting value out there as fast as possible. But at the same time, what is underneath all of this is the learning, right? And which is is enabling this continuous flow of value and ensuring that you have to you get the maximum out of it. Um, in starting those two companies, one of the big things that I've learned is that I'm not good at starting companies. Uh, maybe because I'm not doing it enough, right? That's that's one of the the, the things that we're doing when when we learn. We we learn because we're doing it over and over and over again. Um, and I, I have to be very honest, I don't think I want to either. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for everybody, that's for no, sure. No, I've, um, starting two companies is good enough. Uh, <laughs> I don't need more than that. But, um, but really learning that, that uh, it's maybe not something that I'm really good at, and that's, that's uh, building out a company. However, what we do with that company, I feel I'm really strong at that, right? So. Uh, We'll, we'll keep on working on that, and uh, we started to uh, to collaborate with other folks to uh, to help us with the stuff that we're not good at. And now that you have built the company to a certain a certain size, do you what do you see as the changes in the agile landscape? What are some of the things that are shifting or coming up demand wise? I mean, even COVID nineteen has radically shifted how we think about uh, product delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to, to work with a, with a fantastic customer right now. A customer who really understands what Agile is all about and, and, and that it's not, not about process and that it's, that it's not about uh, following the Scrum Guide or, or if you... Um, if you're more a fan of Kanban or anything else, it's not about following those rules. They really have figured out that it's about uh, delivering something to production as early as possible so we can learn from that and we can improve our products for the benefit of our customers, but also we can improve our, our, our processes so we can, we can get more value out of the door as fast as we possibly can. And one of the things that I'm seeing is that the larger organizations are, the, the further away from, from that ideal, from that understanding, they oftentimes are. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, there's very few organizations out there, large or small, who understand that particular concept. So. I mean, over the course of the last so many years, people have been talking about crossing the chasm and and, uh, and Agile now being for the masses and so forth. And there's even a conference, uh, an Agile Alliance conference was a number of years ago. And it's, the, the name escapes me of the keynote speaker who said it, 
But he said, look, Agile will only be successful if in five years from now, and I think we're, we're about at the five years uh, mark right now, if in five years from now, we're no longer talking about an Agile conference, but we're talking about a software engineering conference. Um, because Agile is not, is not the goal. It never has been. It never has been something that, is, uh, that we're striving towards. It's a means to an end. And, um, and, and I find, uh, unfortunately, that the larger organizations are, uh, the more they fall back on, um, on what they know on what they know from organizing large groups, from keeping control over many people, from uh, the management principles and structures that they've used in the past, and completely reapply that. Um, if, you, if you look at some of those scaling methods, it, um, I mean, the classics are out there, right? The, 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 the biggest one, uh, I'd say safe, uh, or the most popular one at least, um, there is um, disciplined agile delivery as well. There's there's Nexus. There's uh, there's less. There's a whole bunch of other ones uh, that are not necessarily uh, familiar that that people are not necessarily familiar with, or at least not by name. And the, I find that most of them are just variations of of, uh, of the same thing. But what they what they seem to do, and that's the unfortunate piece, is they seem to set in stone a certain stage that you would naturally arrive at if you start scaling something that works really well um, in, a, in a small setting and you start scaling that because the problems that you're addressing become more complex, the, uh, the teams that you're working with become larger, the number of stakeholders that you're working with uh, expands and, and, and you try to create some kind of structure that makes this all work and still uh, still allows you to reap the benefits from uh, being nimble and being agile in, in the true sense of the word. And, um, and, and while, while you're arriving at this, in understanding what the typical challenges are as, they, as you come across them, and while you're building your own scaled method, that save for that or whatever it is 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 only is only like a, I'd say a point along the way, right? It's 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 a temporary state, and and people who arrive at that point naturally also know that it's not an end, that it really never is. Yep. It, it always continues because uh, our technology keeps on evolving, the interactions that we have with people keep on evolving, um, external companies as your your. Uh, as your product becomes more complex, you got to work with those as well. So that adds some uh, challenges to the mix as well. So all of those things that you are coming at you and that you don't know yet, you will find a way to address them because you have come to this point all by yourself. But the people who apply such a, or the, the organizations who apply such a skilled method that is written down in a book and very well described with a whole bunch of roles and deliverables and name it, um, they oftentimes think it's an endpoint, and um, and that's one of those challenges that I see, one of those th those issues that I uh, uh, that I see, and I I try to uh, bring people back to what it really is that they that they they try to achieve. Now I said earlier on that I'm working with um, I work with a fantastic customer who who really understands that, and it might it might be surprising, but it's not a small company. It's actually a really large company. 
but it is um, it is with a specific section of that company that I work and and that particular mentality and that particular um, mindset um, is definitely available in that in that department but not necessarily all over the place mm. was it a big lift to get that department there uh, luckily somebody else did it partly for me right so I help I help grow it but um, but I only joined uh, joined about six months ago it's a little bit over that now um, so a lot of it was already done but I, I know that it was at least two years to get to that point before I joined and uh, and now we're we're like half a year, three quarters of a year further, and we definitely um, make made some additional steps, but uh, but but we still have a way to go. Well, as you said, it's always a work in progress. But I'm really exactly. curious about, and I'm going to summarize what you just said in a way. You you had said there's nothing wrong with any of the frameworks, but there's nothing necessarily right about any one framework. In fact, the best way to scale may very well be to figure it out as you go. Yeah. Now, for some people. And again, I hate to get into holy wars on scaling, but <laughs> but I'm fascinated with the how because people want to know, well, if not some framework to, to model against, then everything is bottom up. You start small with one team and you try to stretch and spread the practices, good practices as you go. But a lot of companies are like, no, 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 we want this whole thing now. We want this well-structured, right. rep repeatable and predictable now. So we got to do some top down. What is your approach to handling that conversation? Well, like like in anything, right? You you need well. What you typically have is the people who are when you when you talk about bottom up, it's the people who are doing the work. It's the the developers, the testers, project managers, name it, right? whoever, whichever titles they they get or they go by. Um, so they need to be involved because they need to do the work, and it really falls down on their shoulders to take that to take that ownership uh, to to be to be autonomous uh, if they're allowed to, and to to drive that continuous improvement to a point where you uh, where you start seeing those challenges with, with scaling, right? Because in, in the beginning you don't have challenges with scaling; you just have challenges with getting things out of the door. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you have you you really require that leadership to not to tell them how to do it, but to tell them what the objective is. To to give them, I always call it a north star. To to give them that that thing that they can strive towards. That that inspiring state or that inspiring uh, uh, place where they where they want to get to. That each and every one on the team can say like, yeah. That's where I want to get, and if we get to that particular place, um, it's going to make our life so much better. It's going to make the life of our customers so much better. So, you need uh, for that leadership, you need them to create that vision. They need to be the um, yeah the the advocates. They need to be the uh, the evangelists. Uh, and um, and that's ultimately what my when we were working together. That's what my role was at the company where we were working, and um, so that's one piece. The other piece is, of course, uh, you need to provide some air cover for the folks who who want to make that change and who need their support to uh, to sail uh, the political waters and and to um, to fight their way through um, through all the the red tape, right? So that's important as well. 
Do you still see people who think they're doing Agile well doing it completely wrong? <laughs> well, I think you know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah well, I'm baiting you, but I, I'm, I'm <laughs> curious. To, I love the stories. I think I'm addicted to the, to the, um, to the mayhem. Well, I, I see more people who, who think they know it than, than, than the others. Yeah. Is that, right. is that damaging? Are we creating, um, are, we, are we damaging the purity of the art? Um, I don't, I, I read a blog post a, a while ago. I don't, I don't know exactly anymore uh, when it was. Was it half a year? Was it three months? Um, it, it was uh, Alistair Coburn who, uh, who wrote it. And Alistair, as you know, is one of the 17 uh, original signatories of the manifesto. And uh, I don't, I, I can't, I can't really, I'll have to say it with my own words, which is the only ones that I have. Please. So, uh, so if anything, uh, Alistair, if I'm, uh, if I'm not doing you justice, uh, it's, that's my fault. Um, but, but the way that I remember it is that he said, like in the, in the beginning, I was, uh, I was always fighting people who were not understanding and interpreting Agile the way that we meant it. And, um, and yeah, and then because I, I was of the conviction based on my understanding of how he wrote it, I was of, of the conviction that if they would understand it, it would always keep on delivering those results that we're after and that we have benefited from as well. And, uh, and he says, in the meantime, I've come to the realization that um, if people don't change it, it means that it's not reaching anyone. And if it's not reaching anyone, it's not providing any value either. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. so, it, and and that and and this is where I stop with the with the content from uh, from the article, um, so so basically that that got me thinking. I thought like, well, you got a really good point there, Alistair. You, uh, if if people dig it on, of course they're gonna make it their own. Uh, of course they're going to interpret it in their own way because we're all people. We all have our own interpretations of what we see and what we read, uh, or what we hear, and. Um, and yeah, we can't really fight that. I mean, it's it, it speaks to the value of what you're what you're delivering that um, that people are indeed changing it and making it their own. So, yeah, how do you address that? Uh, is, is it our purity? I don't think there's something like like purity, um, or at least it's not valuable. Let's put it that way. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm a purist myself as well, but but I try to step away from. Um, from the mechanics, and I try to be pure about the outcomes. Um, so, which is always why I go back to the goal, for instance, right? And I mentioned it already here. Um, what is it really that you're trying to achieve, and how you get there? I don't give a damn, right? It hmm. really doesn't matter as long as it's ethical, as long as you make sure that people are uh, are respected. Uh, I really don't care if you find a better way then great, then I'll hopefully learn that way from you, right? Um, but it, it really is about the outcome. So I try to be pure in the outcome, not so much in the, the way to get there. Well, let me, let me throw a wrench into that one. Imagine that the outcome is to build a bigger bicep. So you and I want to have bigger arms. And so we begin down the road of the science of building muscle, and we come up with all kinds of electrical stimulation devices and different machines that help guide the arm to make the perfect lift or I throw you a sandbag and say see if you can throw this on the roof because that's what you were designed to do 
and the body's a simple machine and it lives by certain rules and it doesn't really care as much for your science. So we can have an outcome, we can arrive at it two different ways, but one of those ways may be a primitive form of waste in and of itself. Yeah, but you just said it, right? Was the goal to throw something on the roof or was the goal to have a bigger bicep? It was never to throw something on the roof. It was to build a bicep by lifting heavy things. All right. So lifting heavy things is what you wanted. The bicep is the solution. And that to me is the mechanics, right? So what, what I, so this is, this is what got me completely thinking in a different thread and I might not have heard the rest of, of, of what you were saying. Um, because, um, because that whole bicep thing, I, the first thing that went through my mind is, that's not the problem, right? You're not solving a problem. You're coming up with a solution specifically. What is that bigger bicep going to give you? Is it, is it that you, you look great in a mirror and you have a beach body that you can, you, you go to whichever beach you prefer and, uh, and show off? Uh, sure, then a bigger bicep might work. Um, but I would need to understand that first mm. because you might get there in multiple ways. All right, so let's frame, let's reframe it. You want to have more strength, more durability, something like that. Right. So you can either buy a premium gym membership with the latest high-tech gear, or you can throw your sweatpants on, start running, grab some kettlebells or some rocks, and you know what I mean. You can go like yeah. think of, uh, the way I always describe it is this way. You ever seen the movie Rocky Four? Oh yeah, yeah, no, I perfect. Yeah. That so now, came exactly in my in my head when you go. when you explained it that way. We've got Ivan Drago and we've got Rocky Balboa, and Rocky mm. is lifting wheelbarrows full of stones, and he's lifting things in big rope nets over a barn, um, you know, right. over a barn beam. And then the other guy is hooked up to a bunch of machines and sensors and treadmills and taking steroid injections. And so are we doing that to agile? Are we overcomplicating it? And when I say moving away from purity, I really mean moving away from the elegant simplicity of the thing. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, and I think that's, a, that's an interesting analogy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sold on it yet though, but, but it's definitely an interesting analogy. So one of the things in how I interpret Rocky uh, or that particular episode, at least, is um, that, and I forgot the names, Drogo, that was his name. So, um, is that, that Drogo is, is trained in a very particular way and it's, it's completely optimized, right? So, all the technology, all that kind of stuff. But it's, it, it's also taken out of context. And it also takes away his ability to respond to changing things that he never um, that he never encountered before. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it trains him to be really, really, really great in those particular preset situations. As soon as you throw him a wrench, he doesn't know what to do, right? Uh, it's not entirely that, but, but this, is, this is somewhat the way that I interpret it, right? And Balbo, on the other hand, he was, uh, he was training in all kinds of ways, uh, had... Uh, it's it's not entirely a metaphor that that works in that sense, but but I see I see that as the main the main element of distinction, and um, and when you look at it in uh, when we when we're talking about agile and you take the purity away and you indeed take all the learnings that went into a framework like Scrum or Safe or that or or name it right uh, without preferring anyone uh, any of those, and um, and you take all that learning. But the understanding of how we got to that particular learning is gone. It's no longer there. That means, well, suddenly if your situation is slightly different, 
well, how are we going to respond to that? Okay, let's uh, let's look at the uh, at the uh, table of contents of the book and see if that situation is explained somewhere. Oh, it's not. Well, what does that mean? Do we do we not have a process to deal with this? Okay, we go back to the processes that we know. The processes that we know are all these other things. Great example. Scrum. Scrum has become very popular very rapidly. Um, whatever the reason is, that well, let's let's leave that out of out of this conversation. But um, but it became really popular really rapidly. But Scrum is a product management framework. Now it became really popular and was applied to projects. Now the difference between product and projects is mostly the life cycle. The fact that a project has a beginning and an end and a product not necessarily. It's a much longer life cycle with multiple iterations and so forth. Oftentimes when you focus as a team, as an organization on a product, it's also the same team that keeps on focusing, focusing on the evolution of that product as well. While a project, well, there might be a new project team the next project for the next project that rolls around. And that is coincidentally touching the same products, right? So there is a huge distinction, a huge gap between um, what Scrum was intended for and what Scrum was used for, and especially in the beginning. And, that, uh, and, and now as well, I mean, Scrum is still used in those, in those contexts. And um, so all of that understanding of, of the framework, the simple framework that Scrum is, is completely lost. And because of that, an awful lot of the, the people who get in touch with it, who are newly trained Scrum Masters coming out of school, went to a training for two days, are a Scrum Master now, and, um, um, and, and suddenly they get in a, into a situation, the only tools that they have is to go back to what Scrum prescribes, or at least that's how they see it. Scrum never really prescribed anything, but um, this is how they see it. Um, and suddenly they don't know how to how to deal with it, right? They don't know how to address it. They don't know how how to look at it in a different uh, at a different angle, and uh, and try to to be creative. And so this this is really I mean if if you're looking about if you're trying to compare it to uh, Rocky versus um, uh, versus Drogo. Um, no, I almost, I almost said Call Drogo, which is a totally different series. Mm -hmm. uh, um, then, then you get a that comparison does make sense, right? Where we, we're in the lab, we've learned all these things. We don't go through all of the learning and all, all of, all of that acquisition of of the different experiments that we ran, uh, understanding why something works, understanding which context it requires understanding how, if it doesn't fit our particular context, we can change that practice to kill, still get the benefit from it. Mm -hmm. uh, even understanding the benefit that you're supposed to get from a certain practice, um, all of those things are, are lost. And, uh, and that's unfortunate. I agree. And I, I believe that we should adapt Scrum, Agile, and any other such practices, as a matter of fact. But I think is the reason for which we adapt it matters. If you're adapting it to make it fit your organization, if you're adapting it to make it better, to learn from past mistakes, mm -hmm. that's one thing. But if you're adapting it because it doesn't give you enough certainty, AKA you're making a version of Scrum that looks suspiciously like rational or mm -hmm. something that was mm -hmm. heavily front-loaded, 
um, you know, like a glacier type bump where there's all this activity up front, then we're then we're starting to miss the point. And you mentioned Alistair. I think there was another paper written by another one of the founders who says, I think we've missed the point. I think we've gotten to the point where the the sentiment that we had when we first created this has somewhat been lost. Yeah. So that's some, something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as as someone who you touched on education, and you are one of the practitioners that I'm aware of that, as far as I know, never really did any certified training. Do I have that right? Like, uh, never went, uh, never, never, never became a let's say a a, a scrum trainer. Correct. Okay. What, Intentionally. What are your thoughts? That's what I was going to ask you. What are your thoughts on the role of education in your agile journey? Oh, I think it's crucial. Um, the the pr- I think education is crucial, right, for a variety of reasons. So one is um, you 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 kind of create a foundation, a uh, foundation to work with uh, the the basic theory, if you will, uh, that gets you going. Um, things that you can build on top of. So for that, education is absolutely crucial. There, I, I don't know of any, any other way to, to get that knowledge into people's heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, when it's immediately followed by a little bit of practice so that yes. you can internalize that education and, and making sure that you, uh, you just don't forget it, right? That it's not, not a, just a theoretical exercise, that it becomes very practical. So that's, that's really one. Um, but certification, I have a challenge with that. and I don't have a challenge with certifications particularly. I have challenges with certifications in the Agile space. And the reason why that is, and we talked about it already, are you, can you be a, a, or how do you certify that somebody is a good learner? Mm-hmm. How do you certify that somebody is, is a good thinker? How do you certify that? Right? How do you certify that somebody uh, who is... Um, thrown a, ch- a challenge at that they are capable of looking at this in a variety of different ways, be creative, open up possibilities, challenging status quo, challenging established ideas, and try to break through these. Mm-hmm. How, how do you certify that? Or how do you certify that you're influential, that you are capable of coaching people when they're hurt or frightened or yeah, exactly. all of the other skills that come into managing or working inside of a team? Yeah, and that and that's specifically to coaching as well. Absolutely, you talked about you talked about this earlier, right? Um, that the that the market is kind of um, yeah oversaturated, if you will. There's there's so many scrum masters out there. There's so many uh, coaches out there, and um, and the whole unfortunate thing, and we're getting into something entirely different. But the whole unfortunate thing is that it also brings significantly it brings the price down, right? Yeah. So what what you're ending up with you now you have you have like expensive coaches and expensive uh, practitioners who, in my opinion, are, are definitely worth, uh, worth their, their, their cost or their, mm-hmm. um, their expense. And, and you have other people with a lot less experience built with a certain certifications. And, and then as, as an organization, a large organization, where oftentimes uh, recruiting is uh, is a combination of uh, of people who have nothing to do with the work on the floor, and then people who who indeed work um, do do the actual work. Um, how how will they assess between 
a good expensive coach or how will they assess a good expensive coach versus kind of a cheaper uh, or more affordable uh, inexperienced coach or who or, or or even I mean coaching in this space is something that is uh, that there's so many people that call themselves coaches I call myself a coach but I don't have I don't have an official coaching degree for instance right, right? Um, but I do coaching work and as far as far as I know, I'm I'm, I'm not too bad at it. But um, but I, I don't have an official coaching degree. So even that, even the fact that we um, that we can call ourselves whatever we want uh, should should make people look at this tiny bit different. So there's a, a bit of a fallacy circulating, for example, on LinkedIn that in order to get a job, you need to have a certification, and mm-hmm. that might that might be a dangerous proposition. Because ultimately, if you think about a vocal coach or a baseball hitting coach or a golf coach, mm-hmm. wh- how do you discern quality? It, it comes down to track record, doesn't it? You know, I'd who say have you so. coached? What successes have you got under your belt? So it really is a question of time and experience, but it's not degrees and letters. Yeah, and, it, and it's not who have you coached. It, it, it is more like how have they grown while you coached them? Exactly what I meant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, quite right. Well put. Now, 12 plus years in, what pisses you off about this industry at this point? What, what do you really want to shake up and change? Oh, um, <laughs> drop the word agile, please. Yeah, that's a great point. What would you replace it with, though? Because people need a word. <laughs> oh, well, well, to come back to the conversation or, or the blog post that... Um, that Alistair wrote, uh, it doesn't really matter what you replace it with. It's gonna be, it's gonna be messed up anyways in a while, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it, it it really honestly doesn't matter. I, I think, I think anything that works for a while and that that in, instead of and agile made sense at the time. It made sense as a word because it said exactly what we're what, what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. It was a reaction um, to. All of those long projects that that provide value after nine months, twelve months, eighteen months, sometimes longer. Um, all of that work that was done um, without getting any feedback from users. So and and also the inability to change course, and that was a big thing. And so agile wanted to to kind of hone in on that particularly on, on that result that we would get and that is oh hang on now you can um, you can actually change course when you need to you you can respond uh, better so so it needs to be something that describes that outcome uh, that is is something that people want uh, we're I'm part of a podcast and and actually just before I came over here and we had this conversation, we um, we recorded another episode of uh, of our podcast, and we call it the Continuous Delivery Podcast. And continuous delivery is uh, even that is a word and a and a concept that that has been uh, misunderstood of a number of times. I think it's the first episode that we that we recorded was about that specifically. Uh, if not, it was one of the following ones. So um, so I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what to call it. Uh, I mean, I thought about value delivery. Mm-hmm. We we thought about. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it value delivery does well for me as well. We talked about modern delivery. 
Uh, but then again, when does modern delivery become old? <laughs> so so there, there's so many names that you could use, but they, they all have challenges. It's not about the names, right? It's Never. But, but you're right, people need a name. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not touching that one. I'm, it's too much pressure to be the person who comes up with the name. I think when we came up, you and I, every method slash framework slash process had to have a name and it had to have a cool name. Rational, rub, you know, the big long list of, of everything that was around back in those days. But now you're right, it kind of, because it's so flexible and fluid, it defies definition sometimes. Yeah. Maybe the best thing we could do is just come up with a name that doesn't mean a damn thing, but but rings or, or sounds sexy and then, yeah. Um, and then it doesn't have any preconceived, or uh, people don't have any preconceived ideas about them. Get a random word generator to come up with something, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, before we close, you mentioned that you came to Toronto and then you left, did some traveling, but you always come back to Toronto. What is it about Toronto that makes the agile culture special, in your opinion? Oh, the agile culture. Mm-hmm. I, I think the culture in general. Uh, I think you can leave agile out of there as well. Let's let's start. Mm-hmm. Let's start with doing what we said. Let, let's let's just forget about agile. <laughs> um, so, for me, uh, so I come from Belgium, right? And in Belgium, uh, Belgium is primarily white population. Uh, I lived also uh, not not in the city, so I was in a, a rural neighborhood. Um, the, oh, really a small town mentality uh, where I grew up um, and and I didn't realize that I didn't realize that but one of the things that attracted me to uh, to Toronto was its multicultural aspect and um, when I first moved to Toronto I lived uh, near Moss Park if, if mm-hmm. people know where that is it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the nicest neighborhood but it's a I call it a very colorful neighborhood yeah and um, colorful in, in so many different ways and I absolutely love that about it. It was um, when when my my friends asked me in the beginning uh, what I liked about Toronto, then I I said, well, I'm um, a white, educated, heterosexual male. Yeah. That makes me pretty much a majority mm-hmm. uh, everywhere else in the world, not here. That's right. And I thought that was so fantastic. And um, I actually get, get goosebumps in saying this because it's that's really what I love about the city. I you know what I I lived for a while in Seton Street, which mm-hmm. I think is Moss Park, right? Pretty much Sherburne and Queen yeah. kind of area. Yeah. When I first came to Toronto, go to University of Toronto. Toronto consisted of the area bounded by Front Street and Bloor Street, from Spadina to Bay slash Young. And he may be church in Jarvis. So venturing over to that part of Toronto was like, what is, like the first time I went north of Highway 7, I was like, what just happened? Like all the street lights disappear. You go north of Major Mac, mm-hmm. there's no more, you know, highway lights. It, Toronto has got so much diversity and so many areas that it almost feels like you can never get to all of them. Even more so than New York City. New York City, you walk in a straight line, eventually you've kind of yeah, I've seen it all. But Toronto has got so many interesting corners. And then thinking about the professionals that make up our community. Right. What's, what's unique about them from a learning perspective, from a sharing perspective, from a community and engagement perspective? So, um, I think about two years ago, I, um, I put some extra effort in trying to figure out 
which meetups I wanted to go to in the city. And there's there's so many. There's like good luck. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, there is. You can you can go to interesting meetups three times a day and every day of the week, and um, so so I started to to pick a few and, and started following following a few and especially obviously in the in in the space that that we're in, and one of the things that I started noticing that was that um, I was going, for instance, to um, to a data management um, session. And data management is not necessarily something that is directly associated with, with Agile. Yet there were a couple of people there who I knew, and um, who who brought that particular view, that that uh, that Agile background, that experience. Um, then I went to a systems thinking session, uh, and the same thing happens there. And and then you go to to a session that is. Particular, uh, particularly focused on, for instance, Ruby on Rails or, or or JavaScript, or it doesn't really matter what it is. So you f- you find that those people are are kind of all over the place, and, and like 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 a butterfly are kind of cross pollinating uh, those ideas that they find everywhere. And um, so that diversity that I talked about, that I love about the city. I feel that's present as well in uh, in here in in those meetups, and um, and when you go to those meetups on a regular basis, and it's unfortunate that the, that many of them are um, uh, are online right now. Well, it's good that they are online. It's it's unfortunate that we can't see them in person, uh, because it's oftentimes in a conversation following uh, those those meetups, and going for a drink to a bar or or staying behind for a cup of coffee. Uh, where where most of the interesting conversations happen. So true. And, and Toronto is a city that that has many new people that attracts many new people, people from all over the world, and and hearing their stories and and, and listening to to the experience that they bring uh, is something that you otherwise don't necessarily have access to. Mm. But uh, but here in the meetups in the city, because they're there for the same reason, right? They want to meet new people. They want to see if they can get into the job job market. Uh, while what we're trying to do is uh, trying to find, meet new people, potential customers, expand our knowledge as well, and contribute to uh, to what is offered in the in the community. So, um, so yeah, it's a it's it's a great combination. That that really strikes me that you uh, you find um, pockets of people a little bit everywhere. I agree, and I learned something from being a podcaster is that. As you say, the best conversations happen um, after the meetup. Mm-hmm. So in podcasting, you learn never hang up, or sorry, never stop recording until one person hangs up, because the best conversation <laughs> happens after the thing's over. Now, with that said, Hino, I I always enjoy so much speaking with you. It's so enlightening. It's such a pleasant conversation, and I'm always I've been a, an admirer of your experience and your approach, the way you the way you communicate. To me, I could just listen to it all day. But let me ask you, what's next for you? And where can people find you? Oh, uh, so people can find us on www.zodiac.ca. Uh, so that's the uh, the company website. Uh, so I started that, I think, two years ago now with uh, Peter Madison. Great. Um, so that's one. Uh, another place is uh, on LinkedIn, obviously, and the Continuous Delivery Podcast, which you find on every uh, podcast platform out there. Um, 
and uh, and yeah, in the city. Uh, whenever whenever you want to learn about agile, go to one of those communities. Go to Systems Thinking. And unfortunately, it actually has restarted. I I, I learned, but uh, but I haven't I haven't been there in a bit. Um, uh, you, there is there's Toronto Agile Community. There is there is Agile TO. There is um, there is uh, Agile Ontario. All of those things and and so many more, right? So it's actually unfortunate that I need to uh, that I'm calling out a few, but um, but if you if you frequent those places, uh, then you might uh, you might find me there as well. And and you can always reach out on, on LinkedIn. Very good. And I hope to uh, bump into you either virtually or in person again soon. We should talk more. Hino, thank you so much for making time for us today. It was great to catch up with you. Much continued success. And I, I hope to have a chance to work with you again in the future. Uh, likewise. Folks, I hope you got a lot out of this one. I know I did. You can find Hino at worldwideweb.zodiac.ca. You can hear him on the Continuous Delivery Podcast. And on LinkedIn, you can find him as Hino Marks. Links are in the show notes. I want to thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. I look forward to seeing you next time.